So this is plainly speaking with Maggie and Salvador, and um, I like to welcome everyone that um, is, is listening right now. Thank you so much. Um, for me and Maggie, we we are one thing that we are saying clearly is that um, we don't um, we don't feel entitled for anybody to listen to us. Like this is just out there for anybody to. Um, we're not trying to build a following or fan base for this, but anyone that listens, we really appreciate it. And yeah, we got a couple of messages from the first one. Apparently, the first because this is just like us gisting at some time. We don't have to because for now, for, for this particular episode, um, we gisted for almost 40 minutes before we are starting now. And, and yes, definitely all of the things we just said about <laughs> we always can't put it on this episode because it is, <laughs> it is us really just gisting and just it, it is it is the uncut version and we don't want anybody listening to it at least not now <laughs> not now <laughs> not now, <laughs> but, um, not now. <laughs> maybe some other time we can <laughs> release snippets of it <laughs> Okay, but yeah, so we, we call this, uh, when we're starting this podcast, it was basically a spontaneous idea, and but it was needed because for, like we stated in the last episode, um, we have been having conversations for more than 10 years, and our conversations are really centered on our, our shared faith and values that we get from the gospel and get from Christ, really. So um, we knew that at some point that we we'll always open the conversations or finding means. And with social media, with thank God the podcast that we have, um, it gives us that avenue. So that's why we're doing this. So we initially were getting the name it. We were thinking of the names. Um, first name that came was something that we mentioned last episode, parakolitio. It means to carefully investigate. It's a Greek word for those two words, carefully investigate. Um, but... When you have when you have a when you have a, when you have a podcast that is a Greek name, are you Nigerians? <laughs> it's it feels you are doing too much. It, it feels yeah, it feels you are doing too much. You know, you know, yeah, because somehow in this part of Nigeria, some people who are Christians and believers, um, somehow always I, I don't think it's a problem. I, I, I feel it's always good to when people make reference to the Greek words in the Bible. Or in the, in what the Bible was originally written in the New Testament, especially when people make reference to it, what the Greek word is. But sometimes when those Greek words are called, it gives the preacher a kind of um, it, gives, it feels like there's a halo on the preacher's head. That man, this man knows Greek. So, so we didn't want that. That's why. So Bagi so they said plainness of speech. Then I now said, okay, let's just make it plainly speaking because that looks more like it's an action that actually happened yeah, you, you, but the reference you actually for... you actually went to <laughs> all the scriptures to accuse me of bringing it from only the King James that's it <laughs> okay. so in this episode we just want to talk about we'll talk about we'll talk about Bible translations Bible translations Bible translations yeah so yeah, awesome, awesome stuff, awesome stuff. So the funny thing about playlist of speech was that okay, so when Baggy had told me that oh, let's call it playlist of speech, and I knew that, okay that we use playlist of speech, but I stated it that way, so I knew that oh, this was something that Paul had said. So by the time I found the verse, 
I think my because my my Bible app is automatically set to okay. My Bible app is now automatically set to any any SB. That's a new American Standard Bible. So I, yeah, American Standard Bible. So I read it there, and it wasn't. It wasn't playlist of speech. I saw. <laughs> so we use great boldness in our speech. No, no, no. I saw. Okay, we use great boldness in our speech. I said, ah, uh-uh. okay. So I checked. So I now went to the KJV because I know Maggie is KJV only. Ah, <laughs> can you accuse me of? I I introduce you to NASB. That we have used. I introduce you to NASB. Don't accuse me of KJV only. <laughs> I know that you did. I'm not accusing you. Okay, sorry, sorry, no vex. So the King James says, if you use great plainness of speech, then um, and I went to the NIV, which is my default most yeah. of the time. It says, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. I said, ah, what's happening? <laughs> yeah, I went to, I think I checked like, like five hundred five yeah. I checked the ESV. Yes, we're very bold. So today we're talking about translations, and I, I think I'll start off like this: that um, I think for us that are English speaking, English speaking countries, I, I think we have. Um, I, 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 this may sound very, maybe this may sound outlandish, but I, I feel that uh, God is going to judge us separately when it comes to the Bible, because I, I I'm, I'm thinking that. Apart from every other language, I think the English translation, the English, the English-speaking people have more translations. Yeah, actually, like a variety of translations of yeah. and and I don't think we we appreciate that enough, especially when we look at it with other uh, tribes or indigenous languages. Languages yeah. of people, I don't think yeah, tribes, that indigenous languages. I don't think French-speaking people have different versions of. Um, I know, for instance, so uh, um, Pastor Gwamna is part of the who that translated the Bible into Hausa. I think his own particular dialect, but he used the um, RSV. That's the Revised Standard yeah. Version. So people don't people don't necessarily have that variety. We have there are so many there are so many in fact, the numbers just keep increasing. And each every other year or day, I, I think one one of the latest translations that came out last year was the Legacy Standard Bible LSB. I, I, I think for me I, I got more interested in knowing the history of the Bible. And I, I think you know part of the things that we had said earlier in the last podcast is how sometimes we we have people who um, have um, are always critical of us bothering on um, why do we have to know this? Why do we have to know this? But I heard something that someone said recently that people are more vast and knowledgeable about things that don't have the same weight as um, eternity has on our lives, the gospel has on our life, the Bible has on our life. Um, so there, there are people that know so much about politics. If you hear them talk about politics, eh, talk about the parties, try Nigeria. Talk about Nigerian history. Talk about they are so vast in it, but nobody says that this thing you know. What does it do? Is it necessary? But when sometimes we want to delve into kind of like the history of our Bible, why we have our Bible, and all these things, people start bringing up the question that what benefit does this thing do to our salvation? And I think one thing, one thing it clearly does for us is that it puts it puts our heart in it because. Um, by the time you keep searching and, and going for these things, it, it is saying that this is the thing that you want to be highly invested in. If this thing is all of eternity, if this thing is giving me a life that I'm going to be with Jesus forevermore, 
then it is nothing to find out that about every single thing that has to do with it. But I started reading books, I started looking at the history of the Bible, I, I, I read a lot of thought watch videos, and it was really intriguing, especially the, especially finding out a lot about English translations. And one of the things that um, it just dawned on me, for me, it helped me appreciate the Bible more. That was first, because when you look at the sacrifices that people paid for it, like William Tyndale, like um, John Wycliffe, and all the people that... Jerome and the rest. The fact that we all know that, okay, our Old Testament books were written in Hebrew and New Testament books were yeah. written in Greek. And for then there was the Latin Vulgate, which was the translation of these books into Latin. And that was what the church had for... Um, yeah, it was from three... Latin Vulgate yeah. was from about 340 or so. About three four no, three forty was when the Greek and everything was compiled and um, was brought together into a volume. Then after that we had the Latin Vulgate, we had we had um, the Vaticans, some the Conus, we had the Codex. Yeah, those, the, yeah we had yeah. those three or those those two. Codex, yeah. So it was like so I, so I think and the translations didn't start popping up till I think the fourteenth century. So that's just, that's almost yeah about a thousand years. Yeah. Yeah. He's a thousand years plus, a thousand years plus, and then we had we had some couple of people translate. Uh, um, the, I, I think one of the first people is John Wycliffe. So there's a Wycliffe Bible. That no, no, I think Wycliffe was Wycliffe, Wycliffe is it to English because I think Wycliffe was for the English. People like Jerome did for Latin Vulgate. Jerome them did for the like the average Latin speakers yeah. and the number of common Latin, the common language, the language of the people there. Yeah. yeah. Come on, Latin. Yeah, but but um, but um, White Cliff Soul was almost going to was going to be English, but it was the English that you read the, now. You will not understand because it kind of like has, yeah, it's English of the common man that then now. It's not in, in English. Language it, evolves because yeah, because because language yeah. evolves. Yeah. It, like language like when yeah. King James was actually popular English. What we call King James English now, which is terrible, was oh, actually right. popular. Well, not Queen's English, it was popular English. It was the average English of, of every other person speaking English. English. Yeah, so, English. Yeah. So language evolves. Yeah. Language evolves. Yeah. So, so we had that then. Um, there was. So I, I, I think basically the way we have our translations, so we have a variety of translations. Um, from the King James to the New King James to the ESV. And one of the things that makes all of them different is what is popularly called um, the translation philosophy. So the translation philosophy is what guided the people in how they translated these books of the, these particular translations. So there are basically three translations. But there are two. Stop trying to account. Yeah. There are just two. Just Stop trying to account for NIV. Is that the dynamic, the, <laughs> is that the function, the <laughs> literal, <laughs> literal <laughs> translation <laughs> or the dynamic one? Let's just leave it like that. No, 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 Don't, no, is the formal equivalent I'm or literal sorry. or the functional <laughs> and dynamic equivalent? Leave it like that. Then the other ones are on a, they're on a spectrum. No, Don't no, make it third category. Stop trying to account for NIV. Don't try to try to make NIV look like uh, NIV is in the middle. In that uh, middle point, the like NIV is more is more dynamic than it is literal. I'm honest with you. So let's just do that. Let's say that will be in the two the two camps is you love the your camp is that you love the dynamic translation. Wait, wait first. Calm down now. Calm down. Calm down. Calm down. I know I've I know I've started you on the KJV, but yes, the case you are listening. Um, 
so there's a spectrum. And by what Baggy said is true. There's a spectrum. And yes, people, it, it is a thing of, so people sometimes put it in three categories. People sometimes put it in two categories. So there's the formal equivalence and there's the functional equivalence. Which is the formal equivalence is basically that it is word for word. So you translate um, what you are translating either from Hebrew or Greek, which is the source language, to the target language, which is English. You are taking those words word for word and putting it there. Then the functional is that you are you are just taking the, the thought for thought or the meaning for the meaning. You are not just you are not just going for word for word. But it's a spectrum. So on the spectrum. And the NIB appear, appears yeah. almost N- individual. NIB towards yeah the fu- towards yeah. the functional side. Towards NIV, fun- NAB, HCSB, NET, CEB, they're all in the mediating point. Yeah. Then the functional equivalent, yeah. we have the good news translation, the new living translation, CV, NTV, God's <laughs> Word, Living Bible. Those ones are on the functional side. Yeah, yeah, but on the formal equivalent or the literal, fashion, those ones are they appear somewhere, somewhere. Then on the formal equivalent, you have the KJV, the New King James, the New yeah. Revised Standard Version, yeah. the NASB, the yes. Is it EM, ERV, ESV rather, not the ERV, the ESV, then you have the RSV. <coughs> so, yeah, so the, the, the NIV and the rest appear, appear in the middle to be the mediating translations. Now, um, I believe what they try, what they capture, as much as they capture meaning or more meaning based, they try as that, that's, that's why the NIV is fantastic. Yeah. All the translations are fantastic, just depending on what you want to get. They're all fantastic, yeah. depending on what you want to get. It depends on your philosophy for study and a number of other things. They're all fantastic. Yeah. You know, and so because they try to capture the meaning or the thoughts behind the what the writer was trying to communicate, they kind of um, do not just go word for word because sometimes idioms in certain languages do not make any sense in another language, and so if you translate idiom word for word, it might appear in the in the in the, in the other language from the source language to the other language to be yeah. to mean nothing. You know, to be they said they yeah okay you know, so for example let me give an example an example can be like what we typically know in english and in nigeria when we say things like someone kicked the bucket died yeah it means that the person like has died or something if you put it on our language maybe you transfer it to swahili and you put it, it means it means it means just kicking the bucket it means nothing dead to them so if <laughs> it doesn't mean just kicking the bucket. It means nothing. And so those, those, those are the struggles translators. Those are the struggles translators had. Yeah. Now it's not as though it's not as though the literal translations do not surmount these hurdles. It just means that um, the newer ones or the mediating translations almost give a seamless read. It almost looks like the formal equivalent, but it's a more seamless read. It almost rolls through as though you're, yeah. you're speaking in the common man's language, yeah. as opposed to the dynamic translation or the thought, thought for thought translations. Yeah. The dynamic translations read almost like um, yeah. you're summarizing the whole thought. And so for the, the dynamic translations, which is the thought for thought translations, like the New Living Translations, the Living Bible and God's Word and all those ones, good news rather, they do not appear to be, yeah. they appear more so as, as, as um, summaries. You're almost like you are capturing the thought process around what the person is saying. Yeah. You're not just repeating word for word, you are capturing the full thought process. And for those ones, you cannot really reference them word for word to a concordance. Yeah because it is the thought process that has been smeared or brought into one, you know, and, and, and those. So, so I think more so than not, in this conversation, 
we'll be talking about why he'll be talking about why he prefers mediating yeah. translations not really the thought for thought because um um we both have uh, we have a reservation towards the thought for thought process yeah we have we have reservations <laughs> now my reservations for it and i will say it from the outset yeah. i'll say it my reservation, <laughs> my reservation from the outset is the thought for thought translations or what we call the functional equivalent or dynamic translations is that if you meditate long enough on the formal equivalent your paraphrasing is exactly what the thought for thought translation is and so the thought for thought actually strips me of the power to translate for myself because it just offers me meaning you know what i'm saying it doesn't make me deliberate with that so it just offers me the meaning and so if i read the king james so i read any translation maybe the niv and i read the lord is my shepherd i shall not want if i sat down on my on my table and i was meditating on the the reach of of that statement i can say oh oh how god leads me god is my leader i'm not i will lack nothing i'll have no need of anything now that very translation you go and check maybe god's word translation good news translation rather it's exactly what is written there you know, and I, I, I would not need to read the good news to know this. If I meditated long enough on NIV or NASB or any of these translations, and I ruminated on what I had read, I would produce these translations by default. You know, and then for some other ones, I feel that um, yeah. they stretch a lot of um, they stretch out so much. Okay, when we when I talk about why I prefer literal translations, um, you would see the reasons why. I would not even subscribe to the thought for thought personally. Now, do I read them? Ah, yes, they are better than novels. So yes, I, I read them when I when I just want to read. Yeah. I read them. Um, when I need more better understanding of certain things, I read them. Like where the King James says, or the NSB says, um, knowing this that our old man was crucified with Christ, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer accept sin. You check the um, HCSB, and that one says, um, knowing this, that our old man was hung on was was killed with christ or set on the cross with christ that sin would no longer have dominion of ours or that will be set free from sin and it will have no more dominion of ours now that simplifies that very word that says that the body of sin will be done away with you know and so what you what you realize is um is that we no longer be under the dominion of sins you know uh, what you realize is those translations sometimes help to explain certain constructions of words that yeah, when you meditate on them long enough, you might still not get the meat of the gist or understand what they are saying. So those transitions have their place. And especially where um, you do not, where people are studying to learn and not necessarily studying to be able to communicate exegetically, you know? And so I said, yes, they have their place. So uh, for me, my wife loves the New Living Translation. I just found out recently that she reads the New King James, you know? <laughs> she reads it now actively. My, my, okay. my, wife, my wife likes the amplified. I, I, I think because people don't know how to read the amplified. <laughs> I, I believe people don't know how to read the amplified. <laughs> yeah, I really don't know how to read You shouldn't read the bracket. You should pick from the bracket. You know, and that's where the problem is. Because they don't know how to read the amplified. The amplified, the amplified has two different brackets. It has a square bracket and a circular bracket. Now, the circular bracket continues the thought process. The square bucket tells you to pick from it. I don't know if I'm mixing them up. There's no Bible in my phone at the moment. And so, and so when you're reading, when you're reading and you see a square bucket, you should not read the word before the square bucket. You should decide which one you want to. 
And so yeah. it really it really amplifies or tries to give more context or more room to the words. Now you can choose to pick anyone you want there. Um, just like yeah. in the King James, if you're reading um, this word, um, reading like John 15, and you, Jesus Christ says, abide in me, abide in me, abide in me. Um, the King James took the leisure of translating abide in verse 10 to be continue. And the question then is, you're reading, oh, you abide in my love, then it says continue in my love, and it feels like a new thought, but it's actually the same word. And so the Amplified would have offered you that same bracket and placed the other words that could replace it there. And so when people read the Amplified and then read the words inside there, and I'm like, it doesn't make sense again, because you did not pick one, you did not decide. And so you realize that many people, because I, I remember when I was 18 years old, 18 and 19, when I was 18 and 19, I studied the Amplified actively. I finished the Bible trying through the Amplified. Like, I loved it like that. But what I realized is, it, it can be very distracting when you are not studying, when you're just reading that for people to hear. You have to pick out. And if you're not picking out, then there's no need reading it. Just pick one thing and, and jump the gun, you know. But if it's the circular bucket, you can as well just um, explain through that. Like, read that one. That one pours, sheds more light on, on the previous word, but then it's still in context. Almost feels like you are you are saying Jesus, then in bracket, the Lord, you know. It doesn't spoil what you read before, you know, but then it continues, it continues when you talk. Yeah. yeah. So, so I think basically, it's, yeah. Okay. So I, so I, I no. So I'll just, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just start. I'll start off by saying this. And okay. um, so for for me, I'll be defending why I love the literal translations. Um, the most literal translation is the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, 1995. People prefer the 1995 one to the 2020 release. Um, they have reasons for it, but I think the 1995 really just canonizes it for what it is. Um, the Legacy Standard Bible, the one that um, he mentioned John MacArthur promoting, actually just did two things. One of the things he did is it was that he converted the word, the Lord, in capital letter, that had through the centuries been used to to hide the proper name of God. So everywhere in the King James, the NLT, all those translations, even the Amplified, you see the Lord in capital letter. Um, the word that was there in the Greek or in the Hebrew is the proper name of God. The word that is there is, that is, Jeho- is Yahweh. And because the Jews honored the personal name of God so much, they always decided not to call it out. So the English writers decided to translate it as the Lord, but to capitalize it. And then... Um, so there are certain scriptures where it says, and the Lord said unto my Lord. At that point, you're saying, Yahweh said unto Adonai. Um, but then you read Lord, Lord, and in English, you've got things we're talking about the same thing, but there's actually two different characters that are being pointed out there. And so what the LSB did was that everywhere where the Lord was written, it translated it to mean Yahweh, the proper name of God. And so I also do that with my New King James Bible. So I have my own Bible printed out without chapter and verses, and I personally transcribed everywhere where the Lord is to be the proper name of God. And it makes the reading quite different and beautiful. You know, but I will give my own reasons why I love the literal translations. The NSB is actually the most literal translation. And um, there are reasons why you discover that. And the modern brother would, would take the, the mic first and explain his comfort with mediating translation. Thank you. Okay, so um, I, I think for me, it all started with the fact that um, first, I, 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 grew, I grew up reading the NIV, thanks to my elder sister, because the Bibles that were bought for me were, I remember there's this student NIV Bible, even I think the, kid, the, chi, the kid's Bible, I'm not sure it was an NIV, but the Bible I remember more vividly that I grew up with 
was the NIV. Was the NIV. So yeah, that kind of sparked my interest. But but definitely being in church, um, the Bible I think I growing up I eventually bought for myself was the KJV. And um, I started realizing that oh, um, the KJV was not for me. I stopped reading KJV personally, like more. Um, less frequently like i'm not saying i don't read kjv again i'm just saying that i i stopped reading it as frequently as i used to because um it is it was currently not the english i was speaking um like you said um, the kjv was written in the english that was common at that time it, everybody was speaking it so it, for me it was just like just figured out this is not the english i'm speaking and because i had already had an niv background um growing up i just stuck with why but i didn't go back to the niv because they were setting things that I had heard about the NIV that made me feel like see, the NIV was um, um, going into error. Do you understand? So one of, the, one of the most popular accusations people have for the NIV is that the NIV is taking out verses from the Bible. And yeah, to a very, anybody hearing that, taking out verses on the half and you take out verses, so that kind of scared me. So I, I started reading the ESV. So I was reading the ESV. Until during the lockdown, I, when I started studying translations and understanding the philosophy behind translations and realizing how translations, um, how do they come out, then I realized, oh, apparently the NIV is one of the most respected translations. But so yeah, so basically the reason why I moved, um, I, I less stop reading the, the King James as I used to to move into NIV then ESV was for English reasons and it was simple because this was not the English I was currently speaking it was not at that time based on the translation philosophy in fact by the time I was making this movement I didn't know anything about Bible translations and their philosophy it was later on I knew about their philosophy and I would agree with you clearly that um, um, the, I, I love how someone referred to the King James Version as the majestic translation. It is like the majestic translation. Um, the King James make you, makes you to pause and reflect. And this is obviously because of its translation philosophy, because the word for word. And like what Baggy said when he said that um, the, more, um, the more functional equivalent translations look like they are a product of your meditation. So when you are reading them, it looks like you really don't put an effort, and I wouldn't disagree. I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that. Now, uh, because how of many, my how many uh, how many my movement was for. Can you can you memorize the NLT? No, no, no. So I, I see. It, I know, I agree. Know, most know, of our Bible, because I, no, no, you I can't, know. you can't. No, you can't, because here's the thing. The, the King James has a for 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 better words. I think the King James has a poetic style that has a font and a rhyme to it. So that's why it's easy to remember. That's why memorizing scriptures is kind of like easier with the King James than with any other translation. It's like, for instance, it's easier to memorize something that has a poetic rhyme to it than to memorize something that looks like somebody's deduction. So for instance, if we're having a freestyle conversation and we're just gisting, to tell somebody to um, recant everything we said, would be very hard because there was a lot of there was no, no, no pattern. like no pattern or structure 
Hello, Pastor was talking to you, but if he didn't have that pattern and that structure, the Lord is my shepherd. No, 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 So, so that, so, so that, is, so the regime has that structure where you can remember. But one of the things in, in final of our translations is um, basically, and I can do, I'm not bored with some of, like what I said, I'm not bored with some histories. I can do that on day. I can do that on my own podcast. But here's the thing: because of because of English language has evolved over the years, what what some words meant, what some words meant. Um, either a hundred of years ago, I know what those words mean today, and that's why even the King James has even been revised. In fact, I heard that um, there have been changes of words to the King James since its um, translation in 1611. There have been over a hundred changes in some words because what some words meant then, I know what those words mean today. So if you are reading them today, in our modern context, it may sound confusing. And let me just give you a typical example. If you read James, if you go to James chapter uh, James chapter 2 and verse 3, James 2 verse 3. So this is uh, James writing. So he says, and, and, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing. Now, when you hear gay in our in our own in our own um, in our own times in our own in our, this James present time that we're in, James your was mind goes down almost. James was not an apostle. Okay, okay, sorry, James was not an apostle. We'll just lead up. Church. Sorry, sorry, I said James. Now, now, whoever is James, whoever is James, me, I am for crazy. I'm for what for what. <laughs> no, no. Wait, you never make me get no, I, 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 I get the point about you. You never make me get But James is not a person. I know. Okay, sorry, sorry. James, James, James. James, but but the truth is, James has two meanings. Has several meanings. And he's still retained. Yes. But what I'm saying, he still retains that meaning. Yes, I understand. It's just that that's not more the popular meaning. That's not the popular meaning. And to the the gross majority of people. Um, 
do not think the second meaning. There, there's, there's really there's, there's, there are the points where words become obsolete, but there are also instances where the words become um, where the words become where the words are hijacked and symbols are hijacked. And, and so, like rainbow, the rainbow right now to every average person when he sees the rainbow on any profile, we all we think of is LGBT. I saw the design of somebody's shirt and I saw the rainbow and instantly I just said it's an ally. And I'm like, for crying out loud, the rainbow means God's covenant to the earth <laughs> that he will not destroy the earth by flood. Covenant. You know yeah. So, so yeah. Um, um, I do not think I, I would have to forego a, a, a word or a dish. That's why there are many translations. And that's why the English language is still the English language. You know? Yeah, that's but the thing at the core, at the core of it, even the, like, there's this word, um, you know, this place that we talk about, we used to teach moderation, dressing with moderation, um, let your moderation be known by all, known unto yeah. all men. Have you checked it? Have you checked up that, that, that scripture from any other translation? Have you checked it from that Philippians 4? No. Philippians 4, verse 5. It says, Let your moderation be known to all men. We use it to teach moderation. But you know what that word means? Let your moderation be known to all men. Yes, yeah, Yes, it says, Let your reasonableness be known yes. to everyone. Reasonableness. NASBC. And let your gentle spirit be known to all men. NIV says, NIV says, let your gentleness be evident to yeah. all. The Lord is near. Yeah. And so you realize that um, yeah. there's no, it's still the same Greek word. The same Greek word can mean a, a number of things. It's the same Greek word. It's not, it's not changing yeah, in, the different, yeah. in different analogies and the rest. Yeah. But does it make the messages we have preached about moderation through this verse obsolete? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You know, it's still, it's still true in context. You know, um, that's a reasonableness. It's true in context. Um, there's a sense in which Paul was telling them, live up to yeah. to that which and um, walk worthy of the vocation where which you are called. Walk, yeah. walk worthy of, of yeah. this call. Live up to your calling in Christ. You know, and so for me, when, when we talk about the King James and um, now, now this, uh, let's let's get it right. When I, when I say King James, I'm talking about new and old King James. Yeah. Because I'm talking about New King James. As a matter of fact, when I say King James, I'm talking about the New King James precisely. Um, why do I say the New King James? Now I can read the old King James like I'm reading the New King James. Because I think I have enough presence of mind to translate the TH to S. You know, and the D D T H T H E E to you, you know, and dying to yours. Yeah. I have yeah. the presence of, of mind to do that. But yeah. some other people do not have the presence of mind to do that. I don't understand why they cannot do that. You know, and so they read it like that, and which I think is just very unnecessary. Yeah. So what I do for young, my friends who are young is to tell them read from the New King James. But I understand that the New King James is not in circulation like that. How many people have a Bible that is New King James? Is that if you're not yeah. doing King James, you're doing NIV? You get what I'm saying? And if you're doing NIV, yeah. you're not. You cannot follow the preacher who is preaching. And so there's that disconnect where it feels like oh, you must buy the King James, and then you cannot read the King James like normal. You know, and so so I thought we'll do the New King James. New King James yeah. translates it perfectly for you. So if I read from the New King James, like maybe this is this is Second Timothy one verse three, said I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, and without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears. Now this verse I read in Second Timothy, if I read it from the from the Old King James, it's the same thing. I'll read it in the same way. Yeah. But someone reading from the old King James, the way the old King James reads it, will say, I thank my God whom I serve 
for my forefathers with pure conscience without ceasing. I have I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, yeah. being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with your joy. You, you know what I'm saying? And so, ex- because of lack of presence of mind, yeah. you can just do the new King James. And so the new King James and the NIV to me are the same thing. Yeah. I'm honest with you, they are the same thing. I think the banters around King James and Nokia, they are the same thing. I read the NIV, I read the new King James, they are the same. And so the argument that the, the King James is no more in language that we, I'm like, no, that's the argument doesn't fly. Because that's why you have the new King James. The THE has been translated to you, did that. And that's why, uh, funny, that's why the... I mean, Funny enough, even if you follow the tree, if you follow the um, trans- the English translation, there's a tree I saw somebody design, English translation tree. So one of the things that I think we also should realize about translations, apart from the fact that um, some of the translations were translated from um, the manuscripts, either the, the Hebrew and the Greek manuscripts, they were also um, taking a pattern from an earlier yes, translation. So like the King James, yeah, yeah. So the King James is like is is like the first proper English translation. Then after that, I think you have the RSV, then you have the ASV. So the RS, the Revised Standard Version came after the King James. Then the ASV took that. No, I think the problem they had. Then, the that's what you the problem the King James has yeah. is that the King James translates from a later yeah. manuscript, which is the manuscripts around the. The yes, later manuscripts. The 12th century. Yeah, the later manuscripts. 10th century. You know, and the problem with yeah. later manuscripts is because of technology now and the discovery of earlier manuscripts. And so, what they call the the, yeah. the ideal Greek, this what they call it, is one of the there's something they call it is, is the Greek that we use. Coin, 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 Greek, coin, coin. It is not just not just it's not just coin. There's another thing. There's one book they call something about. The, the, the Greek that we translate from or the original, but that's not really it. And so what the NASB does and the NIV does is that they are sincere to the findings of the newer manuscript or earlier manuscript. Because any manuscript manuscripts closer to the and those manuscripts are dated yeah, more closer earlier. to the time of the writing. And they are dated, dated and closer earlier. to the time of writing. And so it tells you in more honesty what yeah. is there and what came later on. Like if somebody takes my my my, my, my Bible, takes what I my printed Bible, the one I typed. Yeah. and tries to translate yeah. it 40 years later. Yeah. There will be a lot of inaccuracies. Why? Because I've added something. Yeah. I've added, I've amplified some points that were not yeah. amplified in the original manuscript. So, in, okay, so that, that's the that's the content. Sorry, mm-hmm. sorry to cut you short, but that's where pe- people started. Um, so they, they, they started being, um, how that put it, it's kind of like... That's, 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 why, that's why I said don't call me only King James, because yeah. only King James puts me in that, brings yeah. me to that superstitious category yeah. where there's a quarrel where, then I go like, oh, yeah. let's go back to... No, 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 I'm not the that person. I, I know the truth about manuscripts. Yeah. And so that's why I do the yeah. NASB for my personal study. Yeah. Because the NASB and the NIV and all the other translations yeah. are honest to the newer findings. And so, in finding the book of John, like there's a John that came out, there's a John that they found that the manuscript dates to about 95 AD. Now, that manuscript of John that dates to 95 AD that contains John chapter 8. And someone's like, are you kidding? Like, that's in one of them contains John chapter 17. The one that was found is not in the 120th AD or so. And so, when you see those, then you have one of the complete, the most complete ones, was like 150 or so AD. Now, when you find those ones, what you realize is that closer to the Actual writing, you do not have certain additions yeah. like um, we don't also talk about the additions necessarily yeah. because um, those are those are, those are, those are yeah. the point of contention. And so, what it just does for me, it's, yeah. it's for me when I look at them is, am I, are we talking about literal or are we talking about mediating? 
because I have points where I love the literal translation. And that's why I said, give me literal translation. Whether it's the NSV closer to the manuscript or the King James, wherever it was found. Because, like someone told me, oh, Revelation is not really accurate to a fault. And I'm like, go and check it out. The only contention is Revelation 22, verse 14. Now, what's the difference? Revelation 22, verse 14 says, whoever so so and so blessed is he who keeps the commandment of God. The one from the earlier manuscript says, blessed is he who washes his robe. Nothing different. And if you go and check back the, the Greek, the Greek that is translated, the two Greeks sound alike. They read alike. And so yeah. the error is so subtle. But then in Revelation, in Revelation 12, Revelation 17, you find Jesus Christ talking about keeping the commandment of God. And then in Revelation 5 or so, you see Jesus Christ talking about washing your robe, or 7, say washing your robe. And so each point can still be referenced within the same book and still find yeah. meaning as what he's blessing us for. And so I'm like, oh, is that the reason why people are saying it's not accurate? Yeah. Like, we should grow up now. Like, uh, let's, let's grow up and realize that, you know, this is not the point of you are fighting. You know, let's, let's grow up, let's, let's grow up, let's grow up past this point. Yeah. And so for me, up, yeah. one of the grounds on which I, I stay away from the immediate translation, not stay away, where I do not use the immediate translation predominantly for my study is one, yeah. um, is because immediate translations do certain things with God's word. One of, them, one of the things it does is that it, it brings meaning when God tells reveals to us in scriptures that there's power in every word that proceeds from, proceeds from his mouth. That God was not careless with words. God was not just talking. Yeah. God, God says, um, yeah. man shall live by every word. And I believe God meant every word, not every thought. Now, me and you, we have spoken extensively, and the truth is that we are, we are still trying to capture what we are really saying. And so you don't have to live by everything we have yeah. said. True. But God is not the kind of person who is trying to capture his thoughts. Every word is delivered. Yeah. And so when God said, and the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent in Genesis 3, God was talking about the virgin birth. And so God was not talking about any woman's, just Adam's child. No, not Adam's child. He was talking about the seed of the woman. Now the woman doesn't have a seed. And so there was specificity to God. So when you check the, and so this was one of the grounds on which I, I, I stuck my, put my foot into literal translations. When you find Paul in, in, in Galatians chapter 3, expounding on the mystery of Christ. In Galatians 3 verse 15 and yeah. 16, talking about if a covenant is, is, is ratified, it cannot be dishonored. And then talked about how God ratified the covenant with Abraham and his seed. And not with seed as of many, but to seed as of one. And you go back to the original Hebrew, you realize that God did not use S when he was calling Abraham seed. God kept saying seed, seed, seed. And sometimes God will talk about seed and the multiples. So God will say, I will make your seed like the stars of heaven. And the question is then, why didn't God say, I will make your seeds like the stars of heaven? No, because God was talking about Christ. Now, other translations, because they are true to the structure of grammar within the context of the book, they translate that word to, to offsprings or to descendants, and they put an S. But the funny thing about putting the S or making it make sense in context is we are trying to say that God doesn't know what he's saying. No, God knew what he was saying. God kept saying one. God did not use S. And why, why was that very important? Because that was the point on which Paul hinged the reality that this Jesus is the seed of Abraham. And that's why in Galatians 3 verse 29 he says this. He says, and if we are Christ, then we are the seed of Abraham. And hence, according to the promise, because God was not talking about seeds, that's what I mean, but to a seed in Jesus Christ. And so if you are coming to that seed, then he knows all the families of the earth blessed. And so for me, every word matters. 
Another second point where I really stuck my foot in the King James was the grounds on which Jesus Christ defines the resurrection. When God appeared to Moses and God told Moses, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jesus Christ explained to the Pharisees in Genesis, in Matthew 22, or the Sadducees rather, that the resurrection was in reality, hinged his whole argument on God saying, is and not was. All of his argument was that, didn't you read what was, didn't you hear what was spoken to you by God when he said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He said, he's the God of the living and not the dead. Because God said, I am. I know that I was. Finish. I am, yeah. And so I'm like, if God is particular about, if the revelations of God can hinge, can rise and fall on one word, I don't want you to paraphrase it for me. Now, if I'm reading that one word and it doesn't yet make sense, then I can go and check the paraphrase. But I will still just have to come back. I will still stay on my knees. See, God makes me see what he was saying in context. You know, and it's the same thing with Melchizedek. Like when when God told them, revealed to to David, the Holy Spirit revealed to David about the seed that was to come in Psalm one one zero, and he says, um, and I've sworn this, I've, I've sworn. He said, I can't even put it again in Psalm one one zero verse four. He says, for Yahweh has sworn unto you that you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And the funny thing about it is, because of how precise every one word spoken by God was, Paul could write, or whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, I believe it's Paul's theology on Luke's writing. And Paul's theology could expound in Hebrews chapter 5, Hebrews chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 7, from the same verse, by picking one word at a time because of the power of one word. And so that was, that, that, that's why I stick to literal. And uh, now, I love the other ones. I read them. NIV is what I'm reading. My audio Bible is NIV. To be honest with you, my audio Bible, I listen to, my, I listen to the Bible every day, like multiple times a day. Today, I've listened to the Acts, Acts of the Apostles like two or three times. I've listened, I listened to Philippians throughout yesterday or the day before yesterday, early this morning. So I've listened to Philippians over 40 or 50 times. I'm even writing it on my board. That's how crazy. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like that now. I mean, what I'm listening to is NIV. It's NIV I'm listening to. So it's not as though, but why, 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 am I, why am I listening to NIV and not King James when it's audio? Because with audio, it's not a study per se. It's to catch the general idea. And so I want to see what is being said. I'm not trying to stand on every word. It's when I'm studying by reading that I stand on every word. And so that's, that's one of the reasons why I, I do the King James. So I do the literal translation, whether it's the NASB, the New Revised Standard Version, and the other things. Now, you mentioned the other part, which is um, memorization, which is powerful. But I also put beside memorization is that um, it actually makes a deliberate reader. Now, when I read the translation that is easy to read, it just feels like, okay, I'm understanding this. It doesn't force me to meditate upon what I'm reading. And that's why I have had to listen to these audios, like these NIV translations of the Bible, like different ones, or different books. I have all the books. I listen to it extensively, like math, like that. Yeah. Um, the reason why I listen to it multiple times is because, in a way, because of how free-flowing the NIV is, I do not still catch some things. If you get what I'm saying? I do not catch some things, as beautiful as they are. And so I go back and I'm like, start again, and start again, and start again. And I keep going through the process. Now, even if I was understanding it, I would still go through the same process. 
But why do I do that? Because when I read a literal translation, it makes me sit on every word. Uh, that's why the discipline when I was much younger was to read the old King James. Because the old King James will make me not just mumble through. Because when you mumble through, you do not understand. And so what I do for my young friends is I tell them, read it, read for me. And when they read it, I tell them, can you explain what you read? And because of how terrible our culture of learning is in Nigeria, they don't even know what they read. So they think they just read something that you that asked them to read it, should explain it. But I'm like, how can you read something that you cannot explain? Like you read something, explain it now. It's like when you read a letter, you explain what is in the letter now. You get and so it makes deliberately. So for me, as a personal habit, it made me a deliberate reader yeah. of God's word. Why? Because it did not roll off easily. And so I had to be patient enough to see what was being said. And lastly, I think, um, and since prophecies were not of private interpretations, I want to be confronted with the same complexities that attended to the prophets when they received it. You know, yeah. the assumption that prophecies were completely articulated to the hearers outside of Christ, I believe is false. You know, because even the prophets had to go and search to see what the Spirit of Christ was saying in them. The Bible said they were searching more than what manner of time the Spirit of Christ that was in them was indicating of the grace that should come and that which was revealed to us in First Peter 10 and First Peter 1, 10, 11 and 12. And so for me, I feel like show me the way the prophet said it. Whether it makes sense or whether it doesn't make sense. Now, will it make sense if you read it in the um, NLT? Absolutely. Would it make so much sense if you read it in God's Word translation? Yes. But the funny thing about reading in those translations is that those translations can take away from it the very, very potency of, like, um, I don't know what other, other translations will do with them. Um, this, this idiom. There's an idiom in Greek that talks about the piercing of the ear. Now, everywhere you see the piercing of the ear is still talking about the same idiom. The idiom of a Hebrew slave. And then in the Septuagint, they translated that to mean a body you have prepared. Which is what Paul read and which is what also. He said, okay, so just, so can, can I just put this in here? The Septuagint is actually of the old translation of the, of the Hebrew Bible. Yeah, yeah of the old And because Greek was the predominant language in that, after they came back from Babylon. Language in that. After the, after, after the, the Jewish time of Alexander the Great Father, that's in 331 BC. Around that period, Greek became one of the most BC, popular. Yeah. Became the became an English language. Became the English language, <laughs> you know. And um, uh, depending on the empire, became, became <laughs> yeah, the English language. language. You know. And so Britain is what is yeah. what did this for us. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So because the Greek became the English language, yeah, the Septuagint was predominantly what um, the Jews read. That's why Paul, when he was speaking in Acts chapter twenty-two, when he motioned to the crowd to stop, when he wanted to lynch him, he began to speak to them in Hebrew. And the centurion who was with him did not understand what he was saying. And that's why the mob became unruly. The centurion dragged him out. Because the centurion didn't know what he was talking about. Because he began to speak Hebrew to the people. And so when Paul began to talk in 26 to Agrippa, to Agrippa, Paul was explaining when Jesus Christ appeared to him and he said, yeah. Jesus Christ spoke to him in the Hebrew language. Now, why was he telling Agrippa that? Because he was speaking Greek to Agrippa. You, you get, you get so, so, so this language does, it actually matters. You know, when people talk about Aramaic, Aramaic really just 
appears in Jandan chapter 4, because that was the chapter that I believe Nebuchadnezzar himself wrote. Yeah. It was the letter Nebuchadnezzar wrote about his odyssey, yeah. about eating grass for seven years. And so for me with prophecies, I just feel like there was, there's so much in prophecies that don't simplify it for me. I want to see what is being said. And so there's, I was sharing with somebody, somebody over the weekend and I was talking about the voice of the prophet. But then something predominant in what we shared was the fact that uh, there are certain catchphrases that God uses and it's consistent in all the prophets. Like God talks about the assembly of the nations. He calls it the assembly of the kingdoms. Now what's the assembly of the kingdoms? Now if you read four or five different translations, it will not be it will not say like that. To say the gathering of the nations, some of them will say um, the calling together of the people. But every time God spoke to his prophets in Hebrew, he kept using the word the assembly of the nations. Why did God do that? Because the assembly of the nations is an idea that is tied to the amount to the distance, the word of God, the coming of the word of God, how they will gather to attack Israel, and then all the nations will gather to attack Israel, and then Jesus will be revealed. You know, but if you read for one translation, that, that part or that phrase or that idea might, might, might disappear. It, it will just be in the reading, it will be in the understanding. It will not appear to you as an event that is so concrete yeah. and something that must take place. You know, even like Zephaniah, in, in Zephaniah, I think Zephaniah 1 verse 4, there about, and where, where, where the scripture was talking about, if I could find Zephaniah, because find Zephaniah now would be quite hard to just turn my Bible and find Zephaniah. But in Zephaniah, God was talking about a particular, God was talking about preparing, he had prepared a delicacy, he had prepared something. In Zephaniah 1, uh, okay, no, no, I will not find, I will not find it here. Okay, be silent in the presence of God for the day of the Lord. Okay, Zephaniah 1 verse 7. He said, be silent in the presence of the Lord God yeah. for the day of the Lord is at hand for the Lord has prepared a sacrifice and he has invited his guests. Now, when does God invite his guests? God invites his guests even in the wedding feast. But it's a sense that God invites his guests even to the altar of God. And so he tells you, if you read Zephaniah, that the wedding feast which Jesus Christ speaks extensively about in, in, in his um, parables, not just his parables, even in his, in his direct speech, actually coincides with the revelation of God's word upon the earth. And so these literal translations help me see that. Why? Because he doesn't yeah. gloss over it. He doesn't just make it become, doesn't just, doesn't, they, don't make, they don't allow it to make sense. You know, when you force things to make sense, there can be problems because maybe God did not just want it to make a direct sense. Maybe God wanted to make the sense that he's imposing on it. And like we studied that time in Peter, where Peter said, know this, knowing this first, that no scriptures of private interpretation. No. And so we must stay. And see if God forces me to listen and to get what he said, I will say, you know, and, and not, not, just, not just close my don't, don't, don't make me understand it. Tell me how God said it in the best way possible. And so the NASB says it almost in the best way possible. The LSB has attempted to say it in a better way possible. The New King James says it in a way that they tell me it is good enough. But because it is literal, I can reference the Greek or the Hebrew and ask myself, what, how does this appear in its context? Okay, let me even give one example, one funny example. Yeah. If you read John chapter 14, John, John chapter 12, verse 30, you know John 12, 30, yeah. where it says, if I believe it about draw all men unto me, right? Yeah. The funny thing about it is that the word men is not in that. The word men is not in the scripture. It's not. It's not there. It's not in the It's not there. It's not in the scripture. But the funny thing is, every translation puts men there. Every other translation puts men there. But every literal translation italicizes men. But every non-literal translation yeah. puts men, assumes men into it. 
And you know, you know, you know it's not italicizing. They make it look as if, but why do the literal translations do that? Because the literal translations are written in such a way where if you were going to study the Hebrew and Greek, they were like reference material. And so somebody said, if you were teaching in a Bible college or in a seminary community, the best translation to use is the NASB because the students can have word for word with the NASB and their Greek or their Hebrew Bible. And so because they force men into that translation, that's you, you find it in this term. Um, in, so the NIV says this, and when I'm lifted up in 32 from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. That's not what God said. He has not drawn all people to himself. All people. But he put it there. NIV. This translation says draw all people. Draw, draw. NIV says draw all people. ESV says draw all people. Even NA, NASB says draw all. Okay, NASB says draw all men. But the funny thing is that but doesn't it is that you check your king, you know, because you're reading it through this place. You're reading it through the version. Okay. The version doesn't account for that. Yeah, okay. If you're reading it through another, another okay. app, the italicize them, the italicize it deliberately. The version doesn't account for that. And uh, that's why I'm not, I'm not, the version is not my preferred, it's not my preferred Bible app. It's just my preferred app. It's my preferred <laughs> app for many translations. But uh, I just, I go in there and I call, you know. So when you check the NSB, the, this and the italicizing. And why is, it, why is that the case? By showing me that it was italicized, that it was not there in the original Greek or the original Hebrew, it tells me you can either at least use it or do away with it. And so there are certain times when I'm reading the Bible and I'm reading the sense that the, that the italicized words are forcing on, on, upon that verse, upon that co- context. And I'm saying, if I do away with this, will it still make sense? As a matter of I do away with them. And I try to read it how he says it, how it appears. And I'm like, okay, it still makes sense. Yeah. Now, it tells me to agree with the what they put, or it tells me, no, you can do it with what they put. You know, and so it's just really for study. I think, I think at the heart of it, the reason why I do word for word is primarily for study. I want to see what God is saying in the accuracy of what he said. Same. You know, the problem of the, like, there's a translation I read there, which is way more translation. I love it. I read it one point. It was so beautiful. I read it. But there's a problem I found with the way much translation. They were, they were talking about during the time when the woman with um, the alabaster box broke the oil and she poured it on his feet, yeah. on Jesus' feet. No, the old, your, like the NIV too would do the same thing. And NIV says it was a year's wage, Javi. Mean. They might have said, well, how much it was in 10 years? Yeah. say it was a year's wage. The way much translation translated it into a year's wage during the time the translation was made. And so the year's wage that time was about a hundred dollars or so. So in that verse, it put a hundred dollars or something dollars. Now the funny thing is, a hundred dollars now is nothing, it's just a shirt, it's a basketball shoe. So he has destroyed the value of the sacrifice by making it appear to a big context. And so because inflation has happened, yeah. That Bible is still saying hundred dollars, yeah. or whatever it is they put there, and it makes no sense. Now it's like our parents talking about oh a year's wage in, in 1980, maybe it was 2000 naira. You now put it inside the Bible. Ah, she spent 2000 naira. In 1980, it was big. If my my son will meet it now, my son will say, ah, that the 2000 naira perfume, that's a bookie perfume. Now that perfume she bought for Jesus like <laughs> you can't see and so uh, that's that one problem with, with yeah. trying to modernize translations. Then um, I think um, so much when I see idioms, 
No, let me even give an example. Let me give an example. The passion, you know, uh, the passion translation like came out like 20. The passion translation came out like 20. 2020, I think, or 2019, or 2018, I can't remember. But it has, it, there, there's been a lot of um, criticism regarding it. And chiefly for one, okay, I, I think one of the chief reasons is because it's a single author translation. Single. So, yeah, it's a single author. It's a single it's author translation. Uh, I, I, I don't know the person's name. I don't know the person's name. But the argument for it, so people always say that, but oh, Message is also a single author translation, but what we don't realize about the message is that Eugene Peterson has been involved in other Bible translations, there has been other societies. So, translating one obviously was uh, you can give it the benefit of doubt. But, but to, the, to the Passion translation, um, so for instance, if you read John 11 35 in the Passion translation, let me read it for you. I saw it recently on Twitter and I was like, why, why should I, they do this? So this is the problem Baggy mentioned about, this is the problem Baggy mentioned about um, how a translation can over, and that's, and that's also the, one of the cons of a thought-for-thought or um, mediating translation is that sometimes they can over-explain it because they want to, they are so focused on the target audience. So yes, so, so, so they are explain it and they lose. That point, well, and, that point is the, is the main point. They put the yeah. reader and they lose the they, they lose the reader. Meaning. The reader is, yeah. is, the, is, the, is the is the end of their translation. They like your, the understanding of the reader is the chief, the 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 chief goal of their translation. But the formal and not the what the author said. So really. yeah, not yeah, 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 really. So this is what he said in where, in the point of where Jesus wept. The then tears. The that 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 Jesus Jesus wept. Remember right there, I said, then tears streamed down Jesus' no. face. <laughs> no, so, as a matter of fact, Jesus went to see that. Jesus went to eat. You try to eat that. Jesus went to Is that Jesus is born in his catastrophe out of his nose? Yes. That, that's the picture. As in, and there was wailing. There was wailing. Not that Jesus like wept. Ah. They were sobbing. So, but you say that yeah, you have minimized it. So, you are still struggling from the gravity of wept. You've minimized. Yeah, you, yeah, you struggle from the gravity of it. And, and, those, and, and, those, and those clearly are the problems. But what I would just like to say as we wrap this up is that um, I, I, I think, um, from what Baggy has said, I, I think a, a very healthy pattern is that. I, I, I think what I would advise, first of all, first of all, there's, there's um, I know sometimes you may, you come across videos or you come across people that, based on their preference yes. for a translation, they kind of indoctrinate, they kind of, they kind of indoctrinate it and make it doctrine. So there are, there are, there are, there are certain groups of people that have this thing of King James yeah, only, King yeah, James yeah, only translation. That's and that's terrible. That's terrible because what you, what you're what you doing is that you're making your preference over over what 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 you're giving your preference your preference too much too much authority and that shouldn't be the truth is um, there's no there's no perfect translation in the sense of the word that or there's no best let me, let me there's, say, no, there's no perfect there's no perfect is the word. there's no perfect because no language is the same yeah. perfect is there's what there's no, no perfect is the same. no language is the same so that is why. Being a good student of the Bible, have variety of translation. But what I always advise is that 
you start reading off the literal. So I'm for that philosophy that you start reading off the literal. And you can always juxtapose with um, as you go down that spectrum. You should you always you studying and studying. Um, I think when, yeah, when, when, you, when, yeah. you, when you're preparing for an exam, okay, if, you, if you're really studious, like yeah. if you're preparing for an exam, like I can and do yeah. you read like a mad person. You take source yeah. materials and you read. Yeah. You don't just read passing question this thing. You check source materials, yeah. you check whatever it is, you, you make references. And I think we need to, we need to get that, get back to that. Now, uh, and getting yeah. back to that, like you yeah, said earlier, yeah, sure. that um, you know, really for people quoting, calling the name of a Greek name. I, th- I used to think that that was silly. When I was younger, I used to do it. Because when I was 17, I used to read the Concordance actively. Like, I used to read the Concordance like a man. Yeah. I had Matthew commentary, I had Concordance, I was reading them. They're in the village, I used to study that like a moment. No, but, but one of the things that I think the Holy Spirit yeah. in, in, hit me with at that point where I was finding a lot of glory in um, pronouncing the Greek words was that he told me these Greek words are just words, yeah. not anointed words. Just words. Yeah. So it's like somebody saying Uluwa. Just words. Uluwa just means God. Yeah. And so when I say ah, Deus yeah. or Theos or Christos, it just means <laughs> anointed one, finish. The English language has no read. Yeah. The English also minimize the impact of that word. As a matter of fact, if it's only powerful, if Yeshua is only powerful in Hebrew, then we should, we should stop saying Jesus. People have raised the dead with the name of Jesus. People are saying in the name of Jesus, the dead came back to yes, Jesus, yeah. And so let's not yeah. beat around the bush out. That's why I said, well, Because it looks like, so there's yeah, a, yeah. sorry, as, as you even mentioned Yeshua, and that's, and that's, and that's um, uh, sometimes, I've been heard people maybe refer Yeshua, which is the Hebrew name for Jesus, and uh, it makes it look like to image, there's a different power. Use that one. It's for people that have never had power before. I, I can't. People have never. Do they realize the name Jesus is Joshua? Is Joshua realize, actually? Because the full name is Yehoshua. It's the same name. It's Yahushua, yeah. yeah. That's why you see in Hebrews 4, in Hebrews 4, there was a mistake where it says, if Jesus had taken them to the promised land. So it's not a mistake, it's the same name. And so the word Jesus is more like um, the, it's not the, it's more like the Aramaic or so, but it's the same thing with Yahushua. It's the same thing as Joshua. And so if I can say the name of Joshua, some people like, ah, what do they call? But that's really what his name is, Savior. The funny thing is that the original person that answered the name Joshua, his name was not Joshua, his name was Hosea. And, and Moses was the one who claimed him Joshua because he was going to tell the story of the Jesus, the Joshua to come. <laughs> and so it is, it's quite amazing, these, these truths in scriptures. But, 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 so when people begin to yeah. study and begin to get bogged down with uh, epignosis, gnosis, Baba, if you cannot explain it to the layman, if you cannot explain it to a child, they're not used to it. You know? And so when we're talking about study, yeah. the desire of study is to understand, not to impress. You know, what's interesting? Not interesting. And so, yeah. and so when we are so if you read, if all you read is the Hebrew Bible and you understand God's word, and you can, yeah, you are living the life of God. Yeah. In fact, as you mentioned, as you mentioned the Living Bible, I, I think the story behind the Living Bible is, is a okay. very, very um, inspiring story. The, the, the author of the Living Bible. So the, so yeah, the same, the same um, kickback 
the passion translation was getting. The same kickback the Living Bible was also getting because it's a single author. But I, I, I love the story behind the, the Living Bible. The, uh, the author, his name is Kenneth Taylor. So Kenneth Taylor, he actually translated from the American Standard Version. So I think in his family, in their devotion time with his children, they were always reading the KJV. But they didn't seem to, his children, the, I think they got lost with all the Dao and Yi yeah. and Ye and all that. So it was hard for them to understand. So what he started doing was that, okay, if maybe today they are reading John 4, verse 6 to 8, before the devotion time, he would try and write, try and write a paraphrase of that verse from the King James so that when the children have to read it, they read it in what he wrote. And he kept doing that. Oh, yeah, he wrote for them. So he kept doing that over time to the point where he just realized, oh, I'm almost writing the Bible. Yeah, and he just compiled it. So he used the he used the American Standard Version. So really, the Living Bible was written for a man's kids. And what that told me was that for a man to go through that length, for his children to understand, for his kids to ha- understand the Bible, then it's a Bible. It's a labor of love. Am I am I am I going to do that? Do I love my children like that? I said that was the. Do I love my children that much? Do I do I do I see of, of this knowledge of God's word of, of of this knowledge of God's word that Can I will I, commit to such for their future. That's, that's why I'm that laboring like I'm laboring. I'm honest. That's that's when people say, "Oh, but but why you laboring?" Yeah. That's why I'm laboring. Like I'm like I told my wife. I said, "My kids will serve my God, yeah. and I need to know Him like Jesus knows Him." Yeah. And that's why I labor like I labor. I'm not laboring because I want to be able to tell people this is what is going to happen. No, it's not for that. I want to touch God so that my kids will come into the experience cheaply. You know, cheaply. Uh, somebody was talking about them. He said he saw some witches recently and they wanted to cast the witch out, told the witch to fast for three days, then the witch did not come back. Ah, ah, ah. I want to see that. I want to see that. And they were sharing with pastors that. Wait to be that. And the pastor, and the pastor, and the pastor, yes, yes, that's true. Wow, that guy had insight. This is a pastor. And, and I've been listening to Acts, Acts, and everywhere it's Paul, and they casted out this spirit in the name of Jesus. They casted it out in the name of Jesus, and just casted out the spirit by his word. He did not say go to and fast. He casted out the spirit. And so I said, the problem is that we do not believe the name of Jesus anymore. We do, not, we do not know the authority in the name of Jesus. And so one of the reasons why I'm studying, like I'm studying, and I'm immersing myself even in the prophet and all, is to see yeah. the premium that God put on the name of the Lord, put on the name of his son, on the seat of his yeah. son's Lord here. So that when you stand on that seat, like we were speaking earlier in the rants, that will not appear. God yeah. literally transferred <laughs> us from the kingdom of darkness. What, what that means is that God took us away from the authority of darkness. He said he delivered us from it. So it means that the darkness has no authority over us. When they come, they have to wait on us to give them permission. And so why all the... Now, you cannot tell a man not to kill the chicken in his backyard. Now, if you are not a believer, the devil has authority over you. He can kill you in your backyard. That's, that's, that's all well and good. No, but to go back to the point, like the message translation, when Eugene Peterson was teaching in his church, and he was reading the epistles, he felt like the epistles came from a place of deep love. Where Paul was trying to communicate the love of God for the people and the heart of God for them. And he felt like they were not getting anything in the reading of the King James. Now, I get it in the reading of the King James. Believe in me, 
you should be that same self if nothing they were getting it, but he was getting it in the middle of the kingdom. And so you must find a translation that allows you to get the love of God. Like when I read the kingdom, I, I see I cry when I read the new kingdom. I cry. Like I when I read the Bible, any Bible I cry actually. I cry like a child. I explained to somebody the voice of, of God's love in, in the prophets. He said that he was finding hard to read the prophets because all he was seeing was God's anger, God's anger, God's anger. And I explained to him, and in 10 minutes, he said he was reading Jeremiah and he said, I cried. I said, yes, because all I see is God's love. He finished Jeremiah. He read Lamentation said he was born in. Tears were just wailing down his side. Yeah. I'm like, yes. Yeah. I see God's heart when I read the scripture. And so find this script, find find the translation of or come into God to such a degree where you see his love in his word. And whether you do the literal or the mediating or the dynamic translations, um, see Jesus. Because at the end of the day, every scripture was pointing to him. Yeah. Well. Thank you. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I just like to I'd like to share, I was uh, reading the book of Luke, right? Yeah. Probably I may have come across um, something that uh, was said, but I, I, it, it kind of like jumped out at me. So I think after the angel had spoken to Mary, and this is Luke 2, in verse 19, it says that, but Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. I think there's another, there's another, like, there's another occurrence of this later on, I, I think. No, I is, that to, is where they were coming from this temple, temple, later on. And Jesus Christ came back. When they come from the temple, yeah. No, 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 there were yes, three times. Three times. So there was one time where there were three times where yeah. um, Hannah and Simon finished talking about the destiny of Jesus, yeah. and she pondered on them in her heart. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so pondered on them about those times. Yeah. And treasure, and treasure. So, and for me, I, I this just felt like this is how I should approach reading God's word and hearing God's word. That should treasure it and ponder on it, and that's and that's. Yes. that's and that's, that's, the, that's the way to it. And, that, and that's really the takeaway. So, yeah. So, I, I, I'll start the way, I'll, I'll end the way I started that for us who are English speaking, the truth is that we have, we have no excuse not to read the Bible. Like, if, if, if the Bible is not, I'll say this, if the Bible is not something you find interesting to read, it's a disease, it's a bad disease. It's, uh, you might not be saying that, I'll say the truth. Because, 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 yeah, because Jesus Christ says, Jesus Christ says that, how can you call me Lord, Lord, if you are not good at this? And it's also saying, yeah. If you give birth to a child, <laughs> and the child doesn't want to be child, man, yeah. So, 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 get, yeah, so, desire, so, so, most, so this is, desire the sincere milk of the word of God. Desire the sincere of God, word of God. So if you don't have a desire for God, so don't, don't, don't 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 accept such behavior. Don't say ah, reading the Bible is not my. Yeah, many people say that uh, I feel sleepy when I read the Bible, <laughs> and they I delight in it. So some 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 say boring. when I want to sleep, Sorry. I read the Bible, and they delight when in it. I want to sleep, I read the Bible. I read the Bible. See, <laughs> if I want to sleep, I don't have to read the Bible. I'm playing my own my own habit. If I want to sleep, <laughs> just I don't just sleep. The reason I don't read the Bible because if just I read the Bible, I might not sleep. When you wake up, there was a morning where I was looking, yes. I was looking for so sleep, just sleep about two to four a.m. I knew if I had my study, I would not sleep yeah. I knew. Because once I open the Bible, I'm caught up. It's a problem. So, so much I stay away from deliberately opening it when I want to do something else. Because I might find myself gazing off it and staying there. Now, 
Can there be a difficulty in the meeting? Yes, maybe the translation you have been looking at has not been the best. And so I think, I think, and maybe you know that you know you know there's something I heard someone tweet a long time ago. He says that all the social media apps, so the person mentioned names, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and the likes, all the social media apps will stand on judgment day and prove to us that time was not the reason why we did not read the Bible. Like, I love the part that you talked about Mary and her meditating. I think that is very rich. Yeah. I think we need to have I need to have that, that attitude where I just like on my board I have where I wrote um, when Paul says, for me to live is Christ. And for me to die is gain. And somewhere else I wrote where he said uh, that I want to know Christ. So I'm reading the NIV. He said, I want to know Christ. He says, and to, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his, in his suffering. That's what Paul said. He said, becoming like him in his death. And I just realized that this is Paul in prison. And Paul is saying, I want to know what it was like when he was up from the dead. Like what it means for the Spirit of God to raise you back from the dead. And the participation of his suffering. Like what it felt like to suffer. And then to be conformed. If it means that we, that we become like him in death. And so somehow attain to that resurrection from the dead. Really, tell um, I want to know, we want to know. Love you so much, brother. Father, we thank you. We thank you for we thank you for this we started. We thank you for this you've led us to start. We know we know this is you, this is for you, this is about you. And and Father, we we, we ask that we we keep making it about you. We thank you for everyone that's listened. We thank you for the things we've had conversations on today and we've talked about today. Uh, on this this word you inspired, you being the author, you inspired this word and you gave it to us. And we honor the sacrifice of men who have who have who have taken time to translate and have handed it in the languages we we, we can read and understand it. And Father Lord God, we live lives of sacrifice, we, we abide by your word and just like Mary, we'll treasure all the things we see in your word and we we'll ponder on them. And most especially, we observe to do everything that you've asked for us to do in this world in the name of Jesus. So, Father, we say thank you. We thank you, Lord God, for the next episode we'll be having. We thank you, Father, because, Lord God, um, you provide in the name of Jesus. And for everyone who has listened, Father, we thank you for them. We thank you, Lord God, because this will become their desire. This will become their hunger. And anyone that hunger and test for righteousness is filled. And, Father, Lord God, we ask for them to be filled. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.